appreciate uh, Will's leading those two songs that talk about the, the theme that's in Lamentations chapter 3. So uh, I'd love for you to join me there. Lamentations 3. It's one of the five big prophets, one of the five uh, near the, well, toward the latter half of the Old Testament, I guess. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. So right there in the middle of it, I'd love for you to uh, join me. We're going to read a few verses from Lamentations 3 tonight. Hope you've had a good day. We appreciate your coming back to be a part of uh, our worship service. I want you, if you would, while you're turning to Lamentations 3, to go in your mind with me back to the ancient city of Jerusalem. The year... If we've got this right, which I think this is right, the year is 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar has just completed the third campaign against the city of Jerusalem. 606, 597, and then 586. The last of the three finished what he had started the first two times. And the city was absolutely devastated. The walls had been destroyed. Not one stone stood on another. The temple, so beautifully built by Solomon, was absolutely destroyed, raised, leveled. There's devastation throughout the city. A lot of the young folks, a lot of the brightest, those with the greatest potential, some of them had been taken away to live in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. A lot of people had been killed. And then there were some who were still there. The houses were gone. Their hopes had been devastated. There were children in the streets begging for food. The scene is one of, of hopelessness, really. And Jeremiah walks through the city streets and he looks around him and he sees the looks in people's eyes and he hears the cries and he hears the, the desperation and he's overwhelmed by emotion. I mean, it's, it's hard for him. Of course, this is... His, these are his people. This is his city. And he writes Lamentations. This is a, this is a, a, a book of, of cries, of desperation. That's why it was given this name. Originally, the Hebrew name for it was a word that's, that would be translated something like, in English, it would be translated something like alas or even like how. Or it's just like an like an explanation, uh, um, an exclamation of, of what? What in the world? You know, what in the world's going on? How? Alas, what are, what are we going to do? That was the original Hebrew name of the book. Later, it was given the name Lamentations. They thought that would be a better description of what it contains. And that's pretty accurate. If you've read Lamentations lately, it is a book of crying, a book of tears. That's why Jeremiah got his name, the Weeping Prophet, because he wrote stuff like this. But you can imagine, I mean, I guess we can only imagine what it must have been like to have witnessed that. I mean, we can look around us at cities in the world that have been devastated by war or maybe a natural catastrophe. 
We can go back in the 20th century and we can see this happening in cities across Europe. We see it happening in other places, of course, in recent years in Europe and Asia. We've seen devastation on a smaller scale in our own country. And you, you, you can imagine what it would have been like for somebody like Jeremiah, who had been, by the way, he had been preaching that this was coming. God had sent him to these people, and he had preached to them. He had preached a lot of sermons to these people. Look, if, if we don't stop doing what we're doing, if, if we don't get back to the covenant faithfulness, then God is going to punish us. I mean, he had preached that. God had sent other preachers to Jerusalem to preach the same message. So Jeremiah had been warning them. He loved them. You know, these were his people. He had preached this message over and over and over again. You read Jeremiah, you know, he had, he had warned them. We cannot be doing the things that we're doing and expect God to bless us. We are, he goes back to Deuteronomy. God had said in Deuteronomy, if you're faithful, I will bless you. If you break faithfulness with me, if you break the covenant, then I will take another nation and I will bring that nation against you and I will punish you. And so Jeremiah's sermons had been unheeded. You know, people hadn't listened to him. And now this, this chaos, this devastation as he walked through the city streets and he wrote Lamentations. Last couple of Sunday nights, we've looked at a similar theme. If you remember, we looked at, at Job a bit. Uh, after, after tonight, I'll, 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 we'll go. I'm not going to keep on talking about the similar theme, but it's, it's, I've, I've been overwhelmed. I've been interested in, in this, that this kind of message comes through a lot in the Bible. I mean, it's a message of, of hope, ultimately. That's the, you saw the title of the lesson, you saw the titles of those two songs. This is a, a message of hope. Lamentations is not a book that, that has this, this negative emphasis. I mean, there's some negative stuff in it. There's a lot of crying and weeping and, and asking for God's answer. But, but in the middle of the book, and we're going to study that part tonight, in the middle of the book, there's this exclamation of hope, which is how we ought to view negative things. And, and that's where we're going to go with our, with our study. The Lamentations has five chapters. We're in chapter 3. We're going to be in the middle part of chapter 3. And some, some scholars look at this. There's, Hebrews had an interesting way of, of creating poetry, and they had some structures that they followed. And some, so there, there's some hints that when you look at, when you look at Hebrew poetry, you, you've got this parallelism. And so you've got you know, chapters 1 and 5, lining up in a sense. you got chapters 2 and 4 lining up. And then you got chapter 3. Then you got the middle part of chapter 3. And, and there's, there's a lot of negative stuff on either side of what we're going to study. A lot of cries, a lot of prayers, a lot of, uh, you know, why, Lord, why are you doing this? But then in the middle of the book, and there's some evidence that that's the emphasis here. That's the point of this whole book. It's not what you read in chapters 1, 2, 4, and 5, but rather what you read in the middle of chapter 3. And that is what we're going to focus our time on for the most part tonight. So I'd like for you to look at Lamentations 3. This is not a book I've never preached. Best I can remember, I've never preached a sermon on the book of Lamentations at all. So this is an area of neglect for, for me as well. And, and, and maybe it's because you read this book and you think, I don't really want to preach on that. I don't really, really want to preach that message. But it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and then the one before, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases. Uh, these are songs, pretty well-known songs. And, um, and they're taken right here from, from this text, you know. So it's, it's kind of interesting. So if you're in Lamentations 3, we're not going to look at all 
66 verses. Don't get too nervous about that. We're not going to look at them all. We're going to look at a few. And um, I'm really going to focus in on starting in verse 22, and we'll, we'll look at that paragraph there. But in order to get there, I want you to get at least a flavor for what Jeremiah is doing. Okay? So look at the first part of this. Jeremiah says in verse 1, um, he, he exclaims, you know, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. That's the tone of the first part of this book and even to an extent the latter part of the book. He's put walls around me I cannot escape. I cry for help, verse 8. He shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's a bear in verse 10. Verse 12, he bent his bow and he set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness. He's sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Now I want you to stop there just for a second. All right, the first 20 verses, that's, I read most of them there. You're going to have a lot of that in chapters 1 and 2, this... I mean, you get the flavor there, right? It's, it's hopelessness. And I can almost see, I hope you can see uh, Jeremiah walking through those streets and he's crying. He's looking around. He sees these little kids who don't have any parents. He, he sees people with a, the look of hunger in their eyes. And he, he's, he's saying, Lord, God, what are you doing? Now, he knows the answer to the question. He's going to give the answer. God is not doing this flippantly. God is... God is acting as God had said he'd been, he would act for decades. It's not as if they didn't know this was coming. God had been warning them for decades that this was going to happen if they didn't get back to the covenant, do what he told them to do. But in the first 20 verses, you get this sense that Jeremiah is, is hopeless. This helps me when I sing that song, by the way, because I didn't know this. I, you know, I've been singing that song all my life, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It's a beautiful song got great lyrics, you know, but they're taken right from right here. And I, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't, especially if I knew where they came from, I didn't know the context. I didn't know where they, where they were, at least what was going on. And so just imagine that Jeremiah is written for two and a half chapters now about devastation and hopelessness. And then it's almost like a light bulb comes on and he says this. This is beautiful. I love this. But verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? I got hope. Two and a half chapters of his talking about what he sees around him. But then I remember. Th th then I remember this, and because of that I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Isn't that beautiful? Those are just remarkable words, especially when you consider what Jeremiah witnesses around him. When, he, when you think about what he sees in the city of Jerusalem, it, 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 it lay in ruins. You know, it's going to be that way for 70 years before God sends Zerubbabel back and Nehemiah and Ezra. They're going to come back from Babylon and they're going to rebuild the walls, rebuild the city. That's where we are. But we're, we're in the moment of hopelessness. We're at the right at the beginning of this when those 70 years had just started. And, and, and Jeremiah says, man, this is really, really, really bad. But then I remember. And because of what I remember, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That word, words in the ESV, steadfast love. You may have a different translation of that. Um, this is a word that's translated a lot of different ways. And it's a word we've talked about here before. It's a word um, in Hebrew, H-E-S-E-D, but you pronounce that first H with a hard, hard K sound. A lot harder than we ever say the K sound in Hebrew. It's the word that Hebrew teacher will say, if you're not spitting, you're not doing it right. Um, about, about that about that hard, that hard H cuss sound there. It's, um, it's a word that is used, I mean, there are dissertations written about this, this one word, translated steadfast love here, and it's hard to translate because it, it's like the translators know this is a special word, and so they, they translate it in different ways uh, because it has a lot of different meanings. But at the root of the word is this idea of covenant faithfulness. So sometimes you're going to see a translation that includes the word faithfulness, um, faithful love or, uh, or, or steadfast love or, or loyal love or something like that. Sometimes I think the King James puts it. Does somebody have the King James? What does the King James have? Loving kindness? What does it have? Somebody got it? Somebody can look it up. Tell me, tell me what, um, at the first part of verse 22, I ought to know this, but the first part of verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Does it just have steadfast love? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Okay, the Lord's mercies. Okay. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Um, this word is a... It's used a lot, especially in reference to God. When God describes himself, um, I am a, I am, I'm a God of, of hesed, of this word. I'm a God of faithfulness to the covenant. That's the idea. You see, this is written in a context of unfaithfulness. And that's what Jeremiah ultimately is going to talk about. I mean, he, he's wrestling with why would God let this happen? I mean, it, part of the book he's, he's talking about, I don't know, God, why, why you would do this? Why, why would you do this? And then in this section here, he says, oh, I know why you do it. I never doubted why you did it because I know very well why you did it. You did it because, latter part of chapter 3, you did it because we weren't faithful to you. We weren't hesed. We weren't faithful like you're faithful. You're faithful to what you said you would do. And we were not faithful to what we said we would do. And as a result of that, the devastation of the city. So the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So what, what Jeremiah is thinking here is that even though I'm, I'm surrounded by all this bad stuff that's going on in Jerusalem, I'm reminded of the fact that God is always faithful. Always faithful. That's what he's talking about in our text. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So if I can pause you just for a second and make, this is the main point of this text, I think, is this. 
sometimes you don't really appreciate, some of you could preach this a lot better than I, I can, sometimes you don't really realize the steadfast faithfulness of God until the bottom has fallen out in your life. You don't appreciate how good God is and how faithful He is until, to use another metaphor, the rug has been pulled out from beneath your feet. <clears throat> you don't realize, <clears throat> you don't realize until that moment. I think that's the main point of this text. All the stuff for two and a half chapters, all the stuff for the last part of the book, but right in the middle of it, we got this statement from Jeremiah. I'm devastated. Uh, uh, from a human perspective, I feel hopeless, but then I remember, and therefore I've got hope, God is never unfaithful to his covenant. He's never unfaithful. That's what, that's what we're talking about when we sing that song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, no matter what we see around us. So sometimes we don't realize that as much as we should until we're faced with difficult, inexplicable situations. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's just, this is beautiful text. You know, it's, all, it's just incredible when you think about what Jeremiah is facing, what his people are facing. And in the middle of that devastation, he says, I'm going to hang on to God because he's the only thing that's stable right now if <clears throat> I think it's hard for you and me to understand what it was like for them to experience the devastation they experienced because I mean Jerusalem was you know been built by David uh, made the capital city the holy city by David the city of David and um, this is this was like their identity the city of Jerusalem and especially you know its walls which were the source of defense if you didn't have walls you you had no defense whatsoever and then you've got the temple, which had been built by Solomon, you know, uh, a few hundred years earlier. It was beautiful. It was, it was the place where God dwelled. I mean, God was there. The smoke and the fire and the incense and the sacrifices that had been offered there. That was where God was. And to see God's building, God's dwelling place, devastated for, for Babylon to have that kind of success. I mean, the people, they didn't have any hope. I mean, it's, I think maybe we don't, I guess we can't fully grasp what they're going through right now, what Jeremiah is going through. But in the middle of that devastation, he says, but I'm going to be, I'm going to trust in the Lord because he is always faithful. He goes on. I want to read on down a few more verses because I want you to see this, uh, this hopefulness that you've got with Jeremiah. He says in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. By the way, uh, you might be interested to know this. This uh, chapter has 66 verses, right? And in Hebrew, you had 20, you got 22 letters. And so what, the, what Jeremiah does, and you can see, maybe this comes through, depending on what translation you're looking for. Mine has it broken down into, into sections of three verses. So like verses 1 through 3 begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 begin with a, letter, a word that begins with the letter B or Beit in Hebrew. 
And so you've got 22 letters, and he goes through A, B, C, and so on, you know, all the way to the end of the Hebrew alphabet. And so I, I think it's interesting, verse, verses 25, 26, and 27, you don't have any reason to know this, but can you guess, you see a word that's repeated three times, um, it is the word good. So verse 25, verse 26, verse 27, all three of them begin with the, with the word good. Uh, good is the Lord. Uh, good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. So you got this repetition that goes throughout the book, and the emphasis in this part is on good. Uh, it is good. It's good. It's good. Again, surrounded by devastation, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, so I can see good even in the worst of times. That's the, that's the idea here. So he goes on, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Verse 29, let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There it is again. For he does not willingly afflict or, or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. Three more verses. Who has spoken? <clears throat> Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? He goes on. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter to you, but it's just this this exclamation of trust in the faithfulness of God in the midst of devastating situation. And he, at the end of our little section here, he says, essentially, I know why you did this. How can we complain when we have been warned about this for generations? We ignored it, we disobeyed, and you have acted. How can we complain about that? That's his point in this little paragraph within the overall book of Lamentations. So what do we learn from it? <clears throat> what does God's faithfulness look like? Um, God's, we talked about this last Sunday, you may remember, but God's faithfulness does, all, does not always mean things going the way I want them to go. And so if I depend on things going the way I want them to go to understand God's faithfulness, then I don't understand God's faithfulness because that's not the way it works. That's what Jeremiah sees here, surrounded by devastation. In the middle of that, he says, but I know that you're faithful, and I know you will not turn your face away from us forever. He knew, Jeremiah knew, he had preached it, that God was going to come back. God, God is punishing them, but he's going to bring them back. And you've got at the end of 70 years, God acting through you know, Cyrus, the new king, the, the, the Persian king. He acts through Cyrus, and Cyrus issues this edict, and he sends people back. He lets them go back and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and... And uh, set up a set up the city of Jerusalem once again, and so God acts. But but what Jeremiah is saying here, we can't complain. We can't, he told us what would happen, and and so here we are in a, in a devastated city, but we nonetheless trust in the faithfulness of God. So really, what I want us to remember, I, I think this is Jeremiah's main point: is uh, is, is God, God God is faithful, even when sometimes it doesn't look like it from external. The external circumstances don't point to that. Uh, even when we see things that maybe we don't understand or we, we feel like God has turned his face away from us or, or we feel like we're being punished for something we've done, 
or whatever it might be, the message of the Bible, and this comes through here and it comes, place, comes through in a lot of other places, is that, that God is always faithful. He will never turn his face away from his people. God will always bless in the end. But God doesn't always do the things that I wish he would do. God always has a reason for doing what he does. And our role is we can question, we can act, ask, we can, uh, we can pray. Uh, to an extent, we can complain as long as we do those things over against the backdrop of the covenant faithfulness of God, the steadfast love of God, it never ceases and it will never stop. Can we trust in this today? The answer to that is found, like I think all answers are found, ultimately, at the cross. If God, will, if God is faithful, if God is faithful to his covenant, will God even go to those links to save us? Will God, will God allow his own son? Will God allow himself sinless to be crucified, to experience the worst kind of death for us? And the answer to that is God is faithful. Whenever we talk about human suffering, whenever we wrestle with a question, the age-old question of evil, pain, and suffering over against a belief in an omnibenevolent, omnipotent God, when we wrestle with those kinds of things, we cannot do so apart from the cross. Ultimately, we find our answer there. If God is God, God is going to be faithful. And if, and if God is willing to take on all the suffering that the world can throw at him, then certainly God knows what we're going through when we struggle. Great is his faithfulness. If you're not a Christian tonight, this is the God we serve. It's the God we believe in with all of our hearts. don't have all the answers all the time. But we trust that God is a God who acts, a God who acts consistently with his own nature and with his own will, not necessarily with our own expectations. But nonetheless, we trust in a God who acts and a God who will not indefinitely turn his face away from his people, but a God who will experience the worst suffering that people can experience in the giving of himself so that we might be drawn to him in faith and trust. If you are someone who's ready to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to make that confession tonight, to put Jesus Christ on in baptism as he washes your sins away, and you can come to be a part of his family. And we give that invitation on behalf of Jesus himself. Uh, maybe you need to come back to the Lord because your life has not reflected faithfulness lately, and we're here to pray with you tonight as well. If you need to respond, I hope you will. Let's stand and sing this song together.